This is the Neurosurgery Podcast. Welcome to the Neurosurgery Podcast with another of our series spotlighting residency programs across North America for the virtual interviews this 2021-22 season. Today we are over the moon to be joined by Dr. Jeff Colby, Program Director at UCLA, the Neurosurgery Program. Dr. Colby, welcome to the show. Wonderful to be here this morning and thank you for having me. Of course, we're, we're very happy to have you on to spotlight the program. Um, I guess for our listeners, those who haven't met you before and, and especially those coming into the field uh, this year, why don't you say a bit about yourself, your background, and uh, an inside look at what the UCLA program is like f- from your perspective? Uh, sure. So uh, just a, uh, a minute about myself. So as you said, my name is Jeff Colby. I, uh, I'm a neurosurgeon at UCLA. I'm an associate professor of neurosurgery and radiology. Uh, I'm also the residency program director as of this year. And um, also- Thank you very much. Um, and also the director of cerebrovascular neurosurgery. Uh, so my you know, clinical interests focus on vascular problems, um, both open surgical and endovascular. Uh, and that's where my, my subspecialty lies. Uh, but I'm super excited to be with you to talk about our residency program you know, as we're getting closer uh, to interview season, which is almost upon us. Um, I know there's a lot of applicants out there uh, you know, wondering about the programs and their nuances, uh, particularly since the interviews this year are are online and Zoom related. Um, so I'm happy to chat about our program. You know, as you mentioned, coming in this year as the program director, I imagine that, you know, oftentimes people say the chair sets the culture of a program and then the program director kind of sets the day-to-day and the structure of the residency. So with you assuming that role, I was going to ask maybe you could talk a bit about what the training structure has been like historically at UCLA and where you see it going now that you're at the helm. Uh, Yeah, so I would say, you know, certainly the chair sets the stage for the culture of the program. Um, But, you know, at UCLA, we have a a, a number of wonderful faculty. We have a, you know, a, a, just a great a group of residents. And I would say, you know, in reality, we all set the culture um, and help make, you know, UCLA what it is. As far as the, the structure of the program, um, you know, his, historically, uh, UCLA has been a multi-site program. So we, uh, our residents are rotating at various hospitals. Um, and I think this is a real uh, you know, a real advantage for the residents as they get a sense and really get a flavor of what different clinical scenarios in different hospital systems look like. Uh, so we have our, our Ronald Reagan Medical Center, which is our traditional, you know, academic um, kind of mothership hospital. Um, we have our Santa Monica Hospital, which primarily focuses on spine. We have our uh, Harbor UCLA Hospital, which is the, uh, the county experience. Um, and uh, has a you know a wide breadth I would say of trauma as well as general neurosurgery. Um, our, our residents rotate at Kaiser where they get some additional experience um, in complex spine um, as well as some endovascular. Um, and uh, and also we have a VA experience. So you know by the time our residents go through the program, they've really they've really been exposed to all sorts of different healthcare systems. Um, and the patient populations that go along with it. And I think that really gives them a, uh, um, a wonderful uh, wide breadth of knowledge and experience from that. That's, you know, that's incredible. I couldn't agree more that uh, getting to function and 
carry out neurosurgery in these various settings is, you know, infinitely and unquantifiably beneficial to someone in training, especially going out into the job market, which who, who knows what kind of hospital system might have a job for you when you're graduating. Um, having talked about kind of that, that clinical and hospital-based experience, maybe you could tell our listeners a bit about what your residents do in their elective time on the academic side of things. Uh, what, what, what's the elective, uh, the elective side of things like for your residents? Yeah, so, um, you know, our, our program is, is very academically oriented. Um, our residents have a, a dedicated research year um, as their R4 year or their PGY4 year. Uh, they also have what's called a transition to practice year um, as a R7 or, P, or a PGY7. Um, so the, the goal is to, you know, kind of formulate, uh, formulate research plans and, and research projects leading up to the fourth year. Um, and our, our residents do apply for grant funding and get, I mean, really teaching and instruction on how to do that and guidance on how to do that. Um, they have a productive fourth year. Uh, many of them, you know, kind of continue their projects uh, throughout their their, their senior uh, residency years, um, and then the seventh year really is designed to be customized or tailored to the resident's particular interest, and whether that be a combination of you know extra clinical training as well as research, or or some people choose all research, um, it's really designed to be that launching point from residency into. Um, either a fellowship or a uh, uh, or or a job opportunity, um, so we try to customize it based on the on the resident's interest and and really just trying to set them up for success in the job market. Yeah, you know that the seventh year is a transition of practice in, in in many programs across the country is kind of becoming in vogue. How long has that been the structure there at UCLA? Uh, it's been that way for a handful of years. So. Um, you know, that that was set up uh, before me. I can't take credit for that, but I think it's a wonderful structure. And, um, you know, the, the first six years are solid clinical or solid clinical as well as some research training. And that seventh year is really designed to to hone itself on the interests of uh, the particular resident, which I think is fabulous. Excellent. And, you know, thinking about those particular residents, maybe we could talk a bit about your current complement. Um, maybe share with our listeners, what are the personalities like in your department? What's the culture among the residency as you see it? Yeah, so we have a wonderful group of residents. Um, I, I would say, you know, the thing that highlights us uh, is a diverse group, um, a, a highly intelligent group, uh, very passionate, very motivated um, and they're just a fun group to be around. Um, I, you know, I'm not going to single out any individual resident here, but we, we just have a really wonderful group and it's just a pleasure to be with them in the operating room and, and talk with them about their, their research interests and their, and their career goals. Um, I, I would say, you know, as far as the over, the overlying culture, um, it's just, a, it's a motivated, passionate group of, of fun, energetic, and intelligent people. I mean, that's the best way I can describe them. Beautiful. Well, Dr. Colby, I, I wonder then if we could talk about what those uh, wonderful, dedicated people do outside the hospital when they're not on duty and they're off hours. Los Angeles is obviously one of the great American cities, a classic American city with so much to offer. But for our listeners who haven't had a chance to visit and may not have a chance to visit at least in the first round of virtual interviews this year, maybe talk a bit about life in L.A. and what it's like for the residents and what kinds of things they enjoy to do. Yeah, so great question. Um, so Los Angeles obviously is in Southern California and we're, 
you know, we're blessed by uh, outstanding weather almost all year round. Um, that lends itself very nicely to outdoor activities. Um, we have, you know, residents that are athletes. We have residents uh, that enjoy, you know, time running, time cycling, time hiking in the mountains. Um, we have residents with families. We have residents that like cooking. Um, you know, we, we just have a, a wide breadth of, of outside interest. And I think Los Angeles as a city and Southern California as a kind of regional location, you know, re- really lends itself to yeah. people yeah. That, that like to spend time outside and, and uh, uh, take advantage of, of the things that we have to offer. You know, Los Angeles, obviously also a home to a lot of, uh, you know, uh, uh, entertainment related uh, you know, industry and movies and things like that. And, you know, for people that uh, have interest in that, there's, there's all sorts of fun things um, uh, to do. Excellent. Well, Dr. Colby, we really appreciate your time and coming on to share this inside look into the UCLA program for the applicants this year. Um, you know, I, I'm sure this was invaluable information for them, not, not just about the structure and the technical details of the program, but as you said, kind of the personality and, and the culture and getting to know what it's like from the inside. So thank you for coming on the Neurosurgery Podcast today. My pleasure. It was, it was great to spend some time with you. Welcome to another episode of the Neurosurgery Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Bill Thorell, who's Program Director at the University of Nebraska in Omaha. Dr. Thorell, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So before we start, I just want to point out, you probably know more about this program than anybody else. You've done your undergraduate in Nebraska, your medical school, your, and your residency all in Nebraska, and now you're a PD. So from the perspective of the person who probably knows the most about this program, can you tell us about what sets the University of Nebraska apart from every other program in the country and how you've seen it evolve over the last few decades and where you think it's going to go in the near future? A great question. I don't know that we necessarily have something that's obvious, unique, and no one else will have it. But I think the strengths of our program um, are definitely high clinical volume. Uh, definitely try to get residents involved in operative experience early. Um, we have we have a combination type training program where we have a strong partnership that is basically spanned the entire life of the residency. Even when I was a resident, um, we have a combination of an academic experience at the University of Nebraska Medical Center. Nebraska Medicine is the name of our clinical enterprise, if you will. That's what, you know, when people say Nebraska medicine, they're referring to the clinical part of the of the campus. UNMC really revolves around, when you say UNMC, you're talking about the research and the, and the educational component. But so part of your residency is spent here. And then part of your residency is spent at one of the community hospitals in West uh, West Omaha Methodist Hospital with the MD West One Neurosurgery Group, uh, which has been part of our training program. Even when I was uh, in training, I was the fourth resident to complete training uh, at our program, Uh, and so that you get a you get an experience at a a community hospital that has a busy neurosurgery uh, practice, busy neurosurgery group doing lots of cases. You've got a, a academic medical center with a level one trauma center, stroke comprehensive stroke center. You've got a, a smaller 
but busy pediatric experience at Boys Town Hospital. And we're going to be bringing back online our children's hospital experience. So you've got all these different components of our training program, which I think is one of the perhaps more unique parts of our program, which also then gives us the volume um, that gives us a great experience for our residents. So I grew up in the Midwest and one of our co-hosts, JP, is in Chicago now. But for our listeners who may not have visited the, visited the Midwest before, uh, you know, north of Nebraska, you have the Dakotas, right? And then to right, the west correct. is Wyoming, northwest is Montana, and then even farther west is Idaho, none of which yep. have any academic neurosurgical programs. So can you tell us a little bit about what that means for the type of referrals you guys see in Nebraska and then the type of surgical cases that come in through the door and then the operative experience that leads to for the residents? Yeah, so it, it it varies. There are some very good uh, private practice providers kind of spread across the state of Nebraska along I-80. And there's a very good uh, busy private practice in Sioux City, Iowa. And then they have uh, good neurosurgery practice in Rapid City, which is kind of more in central, southern, uh, and a little bit further western, South Dakota. And Sioux Falls also has has folks once you get you know once you get most of the referrals come kind of through that but then when people start to get I think of it as once you're north of Sioux Falls you're probably going to be closer to go to Minneapolis or Rochester and like on the on the eastern side of our referral or our draw area is central central Iowa so Des Moines area is where people will start go University of Iowa if they want to go to an academic medical center if you're more on the western part of Iowa you'll probably come over to Omaha um, if you get towards since we're on the Missouri River which is on the far eastern part of the of the state of Nebraska we're not centrally located so when you get over towards the panhandle of Nebraska closer to Wyoming it's actually closer for people to go start to go to Fort Collins in Denver maybe the University of Colorado and then once you go past the state line in Kansas you get towards Kansas City and it's probably closer for people to go to KU so those are the surrounding academic medical centers with the, the neurosurgery programs where you're looking at um, that would be where people might go for comprehensive stroke care or something like that. Um, so we kind of draw from central Nebraska, maybe even over towards a little bit part of western Nebraska. We draw from there. We draw from below, uh, south of Sioux Falls, um, west of Des Moines, and pr pretty much down to the Nebraska-Kansas state line. But then we also share patients and have partnerships with uh, private practice neurosurgeons throughout the state, many of whom have either a relationship with our practice or, quite frankly, were trained in our training program. For sure. And as the state flagship university, I'm sure you guys get funding for research. What sort of options are available for residents in terms of resources uh, with the academic medical center? Well, that's actually something that's changed a little bit, I think, for the better um, recently. So we do have, uh, it's a seven-year program with one year of dedicated uh, uh, research time. Right now it's in the fifth year. In the past, we've had, we've lacked kind of the infrastructure and uh, personnel to help residents uh, complete projects and get, get them underway and completed. And it was really up to the resident almost entirely to complete it. Um, 
Dr. Aviva Abosh is our chair, started in when we became a department in July 2019. And when she started, she really helped uh, garner the resources to have people to support the research infrastructure. And that has been, I think, very helpful for our residents um, to navigate through the IRB, et cetera. Um, so that's been a, a a good change for us. It's certainly better than when uh, when I was in training, and that's a, a welcome change. Um, other than that, my philosophy on the research is to really encourage residents to find their own path. As I tell people who interview uh, with us, you know, I don't have a, a horse in this race. I'm not trying to look for someone who's going to help me with my project or my my interest. I want residents to find what they're interested in, then come to myself and the other faculty and identify if there's a way we could make it happen. As an example, you know, we've had a resident who've uh, done uh, uh, basic science research in one of our microbiology labs. We now have our second resident working on that in that lab. We've had residents who've done purely clinical uh, research where they're reviewing records. Um, and I've encouraged people to look outside of Omaha, even to the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, which is the flagship for the Nebra University of Nebraska system. It's 45 minutes down the road, down I-80, and see if there's something that might be interest. As an example, I have collaborated with engineers um, from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln on projects um, involving you know, uh, building uh, uh, 3D printed devices to help with long-term space flight and loss of vision. Uh, those are pro that's a project we've done with our optim ophthalmology group. And you know, those are just things where you're looking at all the resources that are available. Another example would be Dr. Abosh, who does functional and epilepsy, has recently uh, started collaborating with one of the University of Nebraska Omaha, which is just down the street from our campus uh, in their biomechanics lab. Uh, so you've got the whole Nebraska system, uh, not just our campus, that you can utilize as a resident for ideas, the, for research projects that might be interesting to you. And I, I really encourage that. Uh, I don't want uh, a resident to feel compelled to do a project um, that really isn't in, in, in of interest to them. I want them to experience this entire project from start to finish, because I think that's critical for your training to see how this is done. Uh, but I don't, I want you to actually enjoy the experience and get something out of it uh, that you wouldn't get from it if you're just, uh, you know, putting in the putting in the hours because somebody else you're doing somebody else's work for sure that kind of independence is great uh just yeah shifting gears a little bit before we wrap up before we started you and i were talking about how much the applicants are missing this year by not being able to be there in person and seeing the city and seeing where residents live can you talk a little bit about the you know what residents kind of do outside the hospital what they do yeah. in their free time and where they live in omaha and omaha is a city itself yeah, you betcha. So Omaha is a great place to live. It's a great low cost of living. M many of our residents are able to purchase, uh, you know, housing. Uh, and if they want to buy a house, they can buy a house. That's definitely a doable thing here. Um, the drive times are short. You know, it takes me 15 minutes to get to work and home 
even during rush hour traffic. Um, our, our residents, some residents live downtown, which is about 10 minute drive from work. Um, some residents were, live out west in Western Omaha, uh, where there's uh, a more, that would be where you're less likely to live in a condo or an apartment. You're more likely to buy a home. Maybe if you're married or have, a, have kids, um, you'll look uh, out there for housing. Um, but again, it, it's all of those things are possible because the drive times and the traffic's not bad. Uh, some of the things we're known for, we got a lot of great restaurants. It's kind of a foodie sort of city. We've got one of the nation's best zoos, if not the best zoo in the, in the nation. College World Series um, comes every year in June. Every four years, we've uh, the, for the last uh, 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 few Olympic cycles, we've had the Olympic swim trial. So it's a great sports town, even though we don't have professional sports teams. Um, and, you know, we've got Creighton University. With their undergraduate sports teams, we've got University of Nebraska-Omaha with their hockey, baseball, soccer. Uh, we've got the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, Huskers. So those things are all available to the residents as well. And another thing that's kind of key, especially if you're not from around here and you're a resident doing training, we've got a really accessible airport with plenty of uh, uh, direct flights across the nation. Um, COVID might have hampered that a little bit, but generally speaking, we got easy accessibility to an airport, easy flights to a lot of places that you'd want to visit um, so that you can go home, you can visit family, or you can visit other cities. So those are some of the cool things that, unfortunately, in the virtual uh, world, you're not able to really experience um, firsthand when, uh, when, when you would have been if we'd had in-person interviews for sure applicants definitely are missing out uh on yeah a lot of these cities with uh, the virtual interviews yeah yeah so, dr thrill with respect to your time we want to wrap up thank you so much for coming on and sharing some insight into uh, the university of nebraska we appreciate that you, you betcha thanks for having me welcome back to the nursery podcast we continue our mini series on programs and we're delighted to be joined by two doctors from johns hopkins Judy Wong is a program director, and Dan Lebelski is one of the residents. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks so much for having us. This is a great effort that you're doing. Yeah, and you guys are the overachievers and brought uh, brought an additional doctor, which I think is fantastic because now we get an objective opinion from a trainee that's currently at your program. So welcome as well, Dan. Oh, thanks. Great to be here, and uh, I'm a regular listener to the podcast, so it's, it's oh. cool to finally be on. Thank you. And what year are you? I'm a PGY-7, and I have uh, signed on to join the faculty in July. Oh, fantastic. So you are biased a little bit, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I mean, so that's the thing, is that Dan basically reflects the best of what can be achieved coming to a training program like Johns Hopkins. So, you know, we're extremely proud of him and what he's been able to do, um, you know, in his time here. And He's obviously too good to pass up, so that's why we did our best to keep him. So we're just delighted that he's staying with us. Fantastic. Well, we want to hear from both you guys. So why don't we start out by uh, Dr. Wong. Everybody's heard of Johns Hopkins. Obviously, Harvey, Harvey Cushing had his uh, career highs there. And, you know, there's a lot of history at Johns Hopkins. And I think sometimes that obscures what's actually going on today. I find myself saying that, that Hopkins had this and had that. But what is Hopkins like now? And give us kind of like a 
overview of, of how you're running that program from a, from a residency training standpoint? Oh, that's a great question. So yes, obviously we're very proud of uh, our history and uh, maybe some traditions that have been passed down. Um, but that's really what um, just one of the things that incentivizes us to actually um, uh, keep up with the times and actually be constantly at the forefront of advances, actually, because we know that you can't just dwell upon your history and the previous accomplishments, that what truly makes people great and makes programs great is to actually evolve with the times and um, you know, rise up to challenges. Um, you know, push the boundaries, um, you know, strive for better patient outcomes, strive for enhancements in training. Um, you know, one of the things I'm most proud of is how our residency training program has evolved over the years. Uh, what residents go through now to get trained to be a, a full-fledged neurosurgeon is totally different than what it was a decade ago. Well, Dan, perhaps as someone who is nearing the end of experiencing this very training program, can you give the applicants a sense of what it's like from the inside? I, you know, I, I'm sure that you can still recall the years as a junior resident. And now, as we said, the fact that you're signing on to stay is an endorsement in and of itself. But what's the Hopkins neurosurgery experience like from the inside these days? JP, I'm glad you asked that because I, I, I really want to highlight the fact that it's not just the storied history. I was actually reluctant, to be honest, coming in. You know, I don't want to go to a place just has the history, just has the ivory towers. Uh, I I wanted a place that kind of had it all. Uh, and so I, I, I kind of checked it out. I saw the clinical volume was enormous. The research opportunities were um, unparalleled. And then... Uh, Still, I was still a little bit, you know, hesitant just because I wanted to know what the culture would be like. And I went out there and I, and I, uh, you know, met with the people that were going to be my chief residents, uh, had a great interview day uh, and, you know, met the people. And I think that was really what, what drove it home for me. It's, it's that culture. It's the, my co-residents that are all incredibly, incredibly bright, incredibly, incredibly motivated. Uh, and I think they, we, we push each other, we support each other, but we push each other to try to do, you know, great things. So I think we have a great collegial group. Everyone's friends, everyone spends time together. Uh, but most importantly, from a professional standpoint, it's, it's one where, you know, it's just so motivating to see all the, you know, excellent work being done uh, by, by your friends and your peers. Well, let's talk a bit about that group if we, if we could, because again, you know, you miss so much of the social information and the social interactions, just having these virtual interviews. So Maybe, uh, Dr. Huang, you can talk about what your vision of the program culture is and the residency culture is in terms of individuals and personalities and how everyone fits together. And then maybe, Dan, you could talk about how everyone actually does fit together and get along in practice. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, that's a great question. And, um, you know, obviously, um, uh, it's very hard sometimes to convey what a program's culture is uh, in a virtual format. And uh, we've tried to do that uh, with a series of uh, webinars uh, over the past few months where we've had sort of a little outreach, um, you know, with the different faculty uh, and residents to uh, people interested in our program. Um, having said that, um, you know, it's, I'll try to articulate what I think really um, uh, is pervasive. Um, the, you know, we really um, 
respect and value each other as people. And so the program is actually incredibly um, inclusive and um, uh, diverse in that I don't think there's any two people that are very similar um, in terms of background, experiences, ambitions, and, and eventual goals. And, um, you know, there are some things in common, you know, there's a group of us that, you know, really love certain food or, or whatever, you know, and, and, you know, certain sports, um, you know, there's certain commonalities like that, but, you know, there's a lot of um, people with uh, different ideas and, and, and uh, um, different likes and dislikes. And the bottom line is everybody respects that difference in each other and, um, and have a good time and really uh, strive to lift each other up when the going is tough. Um, as opposed to trying to beat people down when the, you know, when something is not going uh, smoothly. Um, because, you know, let's face it, residency is really hard. You know, there's a lot of late nights. There's a lot of uh, painful things that need to happen to, to um, take care of patients and to get trained. And, and I think that um, being able to appreciate each other as people and, and trying to do the right thing and, and, and not being completely self-serving all the time is just the way it is. And, and we take that for granted. I mean, that's, that's just how we are as people. Um, so I, I hope that sheds some light on our culture. Uh, obviously, there's a lot more to, to say and, you know, about that, but I realize this is a limited time and I want Dan to be able to uh, share his thoughts about that. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree completely. Um, uh, I guess on the inside, what people would be missing this year in the virtual platform is kind of seeing how the ORs run, the interactions between the residents and the faculty and between the residents themselves. You know, and, and I want to, you know, emphasize the fact that in seven years here, not once have I seen an attending raise their voice. Not once have I seen, you know, any kind of, you know, inappropriate behavior. Be, you know, it's all professional. It's all, you know, really supportive. Uh, from the resident perspective, you come into the resident room today, you'll find, you know, the on-call person, you know, people between their cases, uh, having a good time, uh, lunch, whatever. Uh, it's, it's really, it's, it's a good, a good culture. People are, people are happy. People, you know, like to come to work and work together, uh, on cases. We have conferences every day where there's, you know, a lot of discussion and questions and, uh, and then, yeah, exactly like Dr. Wong said, you know, there's groups of people that, that just kind of connect and find, you know, their shared interests and, you know, go to eat together. Some people live in the suburbs, some people live in the city and, you know, kind of people find the commonalities and, and, and kind of develop the connections that way. Well, Dan, I'm glad you mentioned where people are living because I would be remiss if I didn't ask you both to, to share what it's like living in Baltimore with the lifestyle that the Hopkins programs affords in terms of free time, extracurricular activities. Um, maybe you could share with the listeners what kinds of things the residents do and what free time they have and how that you know helps them get through the, the, the long seven years. Sure. Um, so uh, Baltimore is kind of an underappreciated place, actually. Um, I think what's really great for the residents is that many of them own their own homes. And um, it's kind of nice to build equity early on. And, um, uh, you know, a comfortable home is really not hard to come by. And, uh, and it's, uh, 
most um, times it's very easy to, the commute um, from these homes is, is quite short um, because Baltimore is not a big place. Um, and, and there are some people that live in the city, you know, downtown where, you know, there's a lot more action and, you know, there's obviously always a hubbub, you know, on weekends um, with, uh, uh, there can be outdoor fairs, there can be uh, um, sort of uh, concerts and, and um, uh, festivals. Um, uh, and lots of restaurants and, and there's a scene, um, you know, downtown. Uh, and then, uh, you know, the, uh, there are people who prefer the suburbs where it's a little quieter, you know, it's great for a family um, and uh, space and, uh, and, and uh, outdoor uh, activities. So we have quite a few people who have really taken advantage of um, uh, sort of the uh, greens, green space uh, in the suburbs where there's uh, trails to either bike or uh, hike or train. So we have quite a few people who have done marathons and triathlons. And so, um, uh, so that's, that's uh, definitely a, a plus for people who like the outdoors. Um, so there's really, uh, you know, the, in Baltimore itself, in the vicinity, there's a range of city activities to outdoor active um, uh, um, uh, pastimes. And then, of course, being uh, on the Northeast Corridor, the proximity to places like D.C. and Philadelphia and New York, um, you know, a lot of people take advantage of that as well. Um, and then as faculty, I can tell you, I love the fact that BWI is a great airport to get in and out of. <laughs> and so um, it's just it's very easy to to um, be based in Baltimore. Um, and there's, you know, there's the usual stuff that, you know, the sports teams and stuff like that. Although I don't think anybody comes for the Orioles. Um, so. <laughs> All right. Well, we want to thank you both so much for coming on the show. In particular, as Dr. Wang said, for bringing in a resident finishing the program now to, to get that direct resident sense of the experience there in the program. So uh, I think this has been really informative for all of the applicants listening this year to get a sense of what Hopkins is like from the inside. So thank you both for coming on the Neurosurgery Podcast today. Oh, great to be here. Thanks again. Thanks, JP. Thanks, Dr. Wang. And thanks for all that you guys do. This is, this is a great, great endeavor. Disclaimer time. The opinions and ideas expressed in this show are solely those of myself, Dr. Wang, and our guests. They do not represent the opinions of any professional institution or organization. This show is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute the giving of medical or legal advice. Listening to or participating in this show does not constitute continuing medical education or any other professional certification. It's just a show, everybody.